Please take a Bible open up to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, page 1 of those blue pew Bibles in front of you if you would like to follow along this morning. Page 1, the beginning of God's Word. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks. We'll continue, Lord willing, for the next several as we, con- we consider the origins of all that God made, finding our place in it. There's no more hotly contested question today than this one. Who are we? Who are you? Part of the conversation around us in our culture right now is a debate over what it means to be human. Our human identity is debated largely over things today like sexual orientation or achievements or net worth. And oftentimes in our culture, the conversation is highly individualistic. We are told that who you are needs to be set in distinction from who everyone else is. This often leads to conclusions about who we are based on what we do. Another part of this conversation, this hotly contested question, is who gets to define who you are? Most people would say you do. But then if your definition of personhood eventually goes against theirs then you find them telling you who you are. And whether you've lived for five years or 50 years, the definitions keep changing. In our world, personhood is a fluid concept. But what if it isn't fluid? What if the answer to who you are is actually fixed? And always has been. What if there is one answer that is the same answer for all of us? And what if that answer isn't made up by another person, but given to you by the one who made you? That's what God's word has for us to consider today. As we continue our study of our origins from the creation count in Genesis... We open to Genesis 1, verse 26 to 31. We have seen in Genesis 1, in the opening of God's word, that God made the world in six days. And last week we looked in survey about days one through five. On day six, which we'll look at this morning, God creates people. He creates them different from all his other creatures. And he gives them a special purpose in his creation. To live as a person for this purpose is what we are made for. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 is the absolute starting point for you and me for defining who we are. There will be a three-part answer to my opening question, who are we? This will be my outline for the rest of the time. First, we are people made in God's image. We are people made in God's image. Second, we have purpose. 
And third, we can be perfect. We can be perfect. We're people made in God's image. We have purpose. We can be perfect. See if you can start seeing those answers appear in God's word as I read Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. We are people made in God's image. We just read the account of the sixth day of creation. God has made many things up to this point. The narrative along the way has followed a fairly uniform pattern. God speaks, things are made, God calls them good, the day ends. But at the beginning of this section, something different happens. More words are given to this part of creation than any other part. God speaks all parts of his creation to existence, but what he makes on this day is the only thing he speaks with before embarking on what is next god has a conversation about what he's going to do let us make man in our image we have previously seen if you were here a couple weeks ago that scripture credits the creation to all three parts of the triune god father son and spirit you can see that in genesis 1 1 and 2 colossians 1 hebrews 1 so here the natural reading of the text and in light of the whole Bible would be that these three persons speaking together, the us, are the three persons of God. They are collaborating on a shared intention for what is next in the creation. A being, man, human. And this is the high point of his creation. Further confirmed by what the Trinitarian God agrees to do. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Now just to be clear, the, the word man translated here is a generic word. It just means all people. Human is the only creature God makes that he speaks about in this way. What does it mean that you and I... Human are made in the image of God. Well, you'll see throughout the Bible, this topic appears a lot. Whether it be the word image or the word likeness, those are used interchangeably, just so you, just so you know. If you're finding likeness, it's often used with, in alignment with this word image. Well, to be made in the image of God describes who we are. 
It describes who we are. It is not something that you can kind of peel off of us. It's not like a Lego that you can kind of stick on one person but remove from another person. God chose to stamp whatever it means to be in his image on humanity indelibly. So personhood is fluid. It's not fluid. It is fixed. Friend, if you're wrestling with identity this morning, your identity and what that means, I'm glad you're hearing this. Maybe you're very low. Maybe confusion over who you are or trying to find stability or security in what you've been made to be has led you to all kinds of harmful effects in your life. Maybe you're struggling with an eating disorder. Maybe you've contemplated or are thinking about taking your life. Maybe you just feel very, very isolated and alone. Like nobody understands. Doubts and self-destructive behavior often come from our inability to know who we are. Friend, you do not need to become someone in someone else's eyes to know who you are. You do not need to create something that gives you outside of yourself value. God made you in his image. So you have inherent worth. The only opinion about your identity that you need to care about is God's. In this image of God, we possess gifts that no other creature he made has. Intellect, reason, awareness of morality, a conscience. We can relate to God like we did earlier in prayer. We can relate to him in our songs. We can relate to him throughout our lives in worship. We have responsibility for what we do and what we decide. We can appreciate beauty. We can create things. We can speak. We can sing. When God created us, he made us like him. But he didn't make us the same as him. For one, he's eternal. We are created. He is independent. We know we are always dependent on him. He is authority. We are under his authority. He also created Adam and Eve able not to sin. Which is different from God who is not able to sin. So because we're made this way in God's image, we are all equal. We are all equal. We are all equal. We are all equal. There is no human alive who does not carry this image. You know in the eyes of this world we are not all equal. You know we struggle to see each other as equal, don't we? In our self-righteousness and pride. The world may claim in its songs and poems and philosophies that it wants to reach peace and oneness, but then it propagates division, separation, and classification. In the eyes of our culture, we are either who we are because of what we have that others don't or what we don't have that others do. We're either poor or we're rich. We're handicapped or we're whole. We're ugly or beautiful. We're successful or failures. We're loved or we're alone. We're Caucasian, Hispanic, African, Asian, and the lists go on. But in God's view, primarily, 
We are men and women. All of us made to look and image, like him, to image him. Remember that the next time you see someone who is less than you and you're tempted to devalue them. Remember that the next time you're tempted to raise your voice in anger against your spouse or your kids or your family because they didn't give you what you wanted. Remember that the next time you watch the news and feel compelled to give people labels that show you think you're better than them, liberal or right-wing wacko or illegal immigrant or Muslim or dictator or homeless. Because we're made in God's image, we all have dignity and value and worth. You may have looked at yourself in the mirror this morning and not liked what you see. But if the mirror could speak, it would tell you God is reflected in you. Your value is determined by an act of God, not by the actions of others. People in the image of God is a fundamental truth holding together the fabric of human society. In Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, a text that shows us we're still in God's image even after the world fell in sin. God says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Justice remains and is upheld because God values his image. If people really believe that we are all just a bunch of matter and material, which is a commonly held philosophy today. If people really believe that and carried it out, that we're a product of chemical reactions in our world, just time and chance, as Jeff said it earlier. If they, if they believed that and acted on it, there would be no regard for human life at all. There would be no legal system. There would be no bill of rights. There would be no extreme punishment for murder, rape, or theft. All these provisions and protections in society are not meant to lead us to reflect on how great America is or how good democracy is, but ultimately to reflect how great God is. He's made us in his image. And yet we see evidence all the time that people are rejecting God's definition of who people are. Male and female disconnected from personhood. Abortion denying the humanity of an unborn child. Human slavery. Corporate fraud. Terrorism. Bullying in your school. All these are heinous sins, not only because they hurt others, but because they are declarations of hate for who God says we are. And, and let's know that we're not just thinking as we think about this of the sins that are out there. We're also thinking about the sins that can be in here. The sins in which we seek our advantage over others through pride and gossip and hate and envy and spite and malice and revenge. Our hearts have the capacity to take the image of God in ourselves and think it is there for our own selfish benefit. Our hearts have the capacity to, de to deny the image of God in others as we use, abuse, or discard people for our own selfish benefit. On the flip side, though, 
You think about who you are in this definition. It is an amazing thing that God has decided to do to make you in his image. To take you as his creature and imprint on you his likeness. That is an undeserved gift. And one of great importance to you. It is not deserved. So why do you think he did it? Why do you think he made you in his image? Have you appreciated this grace recently? Have you been able to counter low self-esteem or self-loathing or envy of how God made others with the truth that you were made in his image? Those who can root their identity in who God made them to be will find security and contentment and peace growing like fruit in your heart and your life. That's point number one that we see this morning. Who are you? Well, God made you to be a person in his image. That's who we are. Being made in his image is also reflected secondly in what we do when we know what's true and do what's right. We have purpose. That's what it means to be made in God's image. We have purpose. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. After God says who we are, made in his image, look at the second half of verse 26, where we find purpose. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then look down at verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he gives them all these things and all the creatures, plants for food to use for their own benefit. So to be in the image of God is not just to say who we are, but it is also a way to express what we do. Because as we bear this image, we then go into the world and image him with this likeness. It is projected and others see it. Throughout the Bible, we see that theme over and over. In the law, God gives to Israel on Mount Sinai. It's repeated in, by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. It's re- recapitulated over and over by the New Testament writers. Whenever the Bible talks about our responsibility as people made in the image of God, it summarizes this basic responsibility in two commands. Love God and love others. Church, we fulfill our responsibility to represent Jesus one way through our committed love for each other. That's part of what you're doing as you maintain your bond with us in this covenant family. We're imaging God. Your purpose in life was built on day six of creation. When God gave us the gift of his image, he made us to be something and to do something. To reflect God and to act like God. Not to be God, but to reflect him in our actions. Yes, sin deeply affected our ability to live this out, but it did not change what we are made for. To be fully human is to be equal and dignified and higher than the rest of the creation. And it is to be hardwired to fulfill three basic responsibilities. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to walk through them. 
Your purpose is fulfilled through three basic responsibilities. To live for God. To live our life for others. And to rule over the rest of creation. To live for God. To live for others. And to rule over the rest of the creation. In other words, to do these things is just as much what it means to be created in God's image as when we say that we are equal or have dignity. The image of God is both who we are and what we do. Let's think about what it means to live for God. Why do you think God has given you what you have? Given you what you have. I'm not asking what he gave other people, although we often reference what he gave other people. And we ask God, why didn't you give me that? Why is he giving you specifically what you have? Did he give you your intellect, smart person, successful person, so that you could pursue success? Did he give you a family, family person, so that you could make that the thing that drives all your desires and ambitions? Has he given us this church so that we can grow big and feel good about how much better of a church we are than other churches? No. God made us all in his image so that we could know him, to have a relationship with him, to recognize and appreciate and worship him as the giver of all good things. So he gives you a mind and he gives you a will and he gives you decision-making capacity so that when you... When he speaks words like this to you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can hear, understand, and respond. Enjoy in obedience. So friend, notice there's no autonomy in God's God's design. No autonomy. He never intended us to take the gifts he gives us and run and build our own world separate from him. No, he gives it all under his authority as our creator. And he expects we'll use his gifts for the reasons he gave them. So are you using the gift of God's image to live for God? But to live for God is secondly in our, to say we have a responsibility to live for others. This is hardwired into our purpose as made in God's image. When we take... Just imagine, just just think about all the people God has ever made, right? And and how diverse that set has got to be. All the world, all time, all places. That's a crazy diverse set of people. So you compile all that together. You get a collage of diversity and accomplishments. And if you bunch them all together, if you were able to, and kind of look at them in a snapshot, the composite whole would give you that much more appreciation for who God is. Because he made all that as a reflection of his image. The range of art, technology, music, language, customs, kinds of people, all these Piece together to form a total picture of a God whose image on us enables all of that. And so this is where our individuality and our diversity and differences in our life together can be appreciated. God has made us distinct in these ways with different talents and abilities and backgrounds and who we are for the purpose of showing that he unites it all and shows his glory through that. 
It is the tendency, though, of our Western culture to overemphasize the individual and forsake the corporate whole. But that is a deficient view of God's design. In Genesis 1.27, the word man represents all man, not just Adam. This includes men and women, male and female, he created them. So your God-given person is not just for yourself. You were made as a part of the image of God that he's put on all humanity. Your role and my role is to put our energies into helping other people image God. And we need others to help us fulfill that role too. Um, Imagine trying to love if you had no one to love. We couldn't. And this is especially true in the church. Ephesians four fifteen to 16 spells out our purpose this way. We are to speak the truth in love, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, notice not individualistic, joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has put you in this church to contribute to our collective growth in Christ-likeness. That is a purpose beyond yourself. That's what we mean when we talk about discipleship. Using your life for another person's spiritual good. You have to be a follower of Christ to become more like Christ. And when you're joined to a church... You get to both contribute to Christ-likeness and you get to be equipped for Christ-likeness. You get to give for other people's growth and you get to receive from other people things that cause your own spiritual growth. That's what we mean when we prayed earlier that the Lord help us understand that being a Christian is not being a consumer, but being a provider. Our third responsibility hardwired into our purpose To live for God, to live for others. And then thirdly, to reproduce and rule over creation. To rule over the rest of creation. Did you notice? Did you notice the repeated words that speak to this? Verse 26, let them have dominion. Dominion over. And then look in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea. We read here that God blessed man. It's a reminder that all we successfully do for God requires the favor of God to make it successful. Like the birds and the sea creatures a few verses before, God tells mankind to reproduce, to fill the earth with more image bearers, more of those who show off his likeness. The more God's people multiply, the more his image spreads, the more his glory is shown. The word dominion means rule. And the word subdue, we could read as bringing something under authority. So God, the ruler of all things, put people on this planet to be God's ruling agents over this part of his creation. We are his vice rulers. We exercise this God-given authority through our commanding position in creation and through our care for creation. Command and care. 
So we'll see in Adam in Genesis 2 naming the animals by command. But we'll also see him working and keeping the garden with Eve caring for it. Now, if you were to track technological progress through, let's just say, a hundred years, all the developments that have happened, that, that would show you how God has built us with incredible potential to command, how we have harnessed energy, how we have made it possible to communicate across the world into space through technology. He put us in a vast world that he made, made rich with possibility and resources. And then he gave us the open-ended opportunity to go play in it and discover all that was, is there. I think about this every time I fly on an airplane and go 500 miles per hour through a metal tube and get where I want to go in a matter of minutes. Human progress and development often ends and terminates in praising people who did it. But it doesn't have to. All we're really doing in our invention and innovation is discovering what is already there. What God has put there. Our progress, so-called, is simply the history of people discovering how great God has always been. Many views of creation will fall off one side or the other. Either we will overplay our command and abuse the world for our own advantage, or we will overplay our care and assume that we should never do anything that advantages people more than animals or the environment. God used his rule to make a world that was orderly, and codependent, flourishing, abundant in supplying all that people and the rest of the creatures needed for life. You see that as he specifies, all these plants are for your food. Our approach to this world should reflect God's original intentions. Once again, if we take our cues from culture, we will not strike this balance between command and care. The backbone of our economy is the idea that the highest ideal is to be in a position to consume as much as you could want. Now, I recognize, I recognize that many decisions about consumption and climate and how energy resources are mined is mostly out of our control. I recognize that. But each of us has some sphere of rule and dominion. You bring your influence every day into your home or into your job or into how you manage your schedule. Some of you have property that you own. Others of you have extra time. In other words, you have authority. Think about how you're using it. Are you striking the balance between command and care? How are you feeling your need for God to help you in that? Maybe others around you could help and talk to you about how to do it well. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives some final words of instructions to his disciples, which we understand get passed on to us, his church, often called the Great Commission. His commission to the church, what we are to do and to be, mirrors the creation mandate to reproduce and rule. I wonder if you've ever noticed that, if you've been reading the Bible for a long time. Jesus says, 
All authority has been given to me. And with that authority, Jesus creates a new people. And what does he tell them to do? Go out and exercise his authority in reproducing more disciples. Filling the earth through those who come to know him with the image of his son. Now, he clearly does not mean biological reproduction. Jesus never had any kids, but he does say he reproduced. He reproduced disciples through his saving work. He never had a throne on earth, but he exercised his rule by carrying the power of God's word through himself into the heart of others. Christian, you don't have to be a father or a mother to reproduce and have spiritual children. You don't have to be a power player on the world stage to exercise major spiritual influence. We only need to use what Jesus has given us, his authority, his word, and your life. Who are we? We're people made in God's image. We have purpose. And finally, we can be perfect. We can be perfect. Genesis one thirty one, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. At the end of every day so far, God surveyed what he did that day and called it good. But here he says, in this part of the creation, is even better than he had made so far. It's very good. We were designed to reflect and represent God and who we are and what we do. And as Adam and Eve would, would, were to do that with all of themselves, I think we are being led to understand that would lead to the perfect life. The best life conceivable for you, if you're wondering, the best life conceivable to you, for you, is one of total worship to God. Total service to others, total care of all God has given you. That's what Adam and Eve were made to be. But if Adam and Eve were perfect, why did they sin? Why did it end up the way that it did? Well, there are mysteries here that I do not claim to know, but there's also God's word. But the best answer I think we can take from scripture is that God made Adam and Eve with the ability to live perfectly, which is to say with the ability not to sin. An ability they chose to trade in when they used their gifts for something other than imaging God. So let me encourage you to think of sin this way. Think and believe and know that sin is a defiant activity against our maker in which we say, I know you made this body to serve you, but I'm going to use it for my own pleasure. Or I know you made this mind to think on you, but I'm going to use it to dwell on my own fantasies or frustrations. Or I know you made this money to go spreading your glory in the image of your son, but I'm going to use it to boost my own image. Our ability for perfection was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. His image got marred. Through them, the Bible says, we have become corrupt. And now, unlike Adam and Eve, we are not able to not sin. We are not able to not sin. You see that, don't you, in yourself? In yourself? 
I see that in myself. Who of us could honestly claim we've used every second of our life, every ounce of our energy, loving God and others? None of us. Paradise was lost when we marred the image of God in us. Sin deforms us. It dehumanizes us. If you want to read more about that, read Daniel 4 and the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Or read Romans 1 that Lily quoted in her prayer of confession. The further we move away from the person and purpose God made us to be and live for, the more animal we become. Our sin alienates us from God and his goodness. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus, of the Bible, and that we aim to tell you this morning as Christians that we have found is that there is actually a way to return. No, it's better than that. It's better than a return to paradise lost. It is a hope to attain a greater perfection than Adam and Eve ever knew. To become so perfect that we mirror God's nature. To be like God one day in not being able to sin. Although Adam was not that perfect image, another man has come and shown us what it looks like to be and live in the image of God. Jesus Christ, God's son, came as the exact representation of God, the very imprint of his nature, like God, God in every way, God's own son, Hebrews 1.3. He lived all of his life in perfection, completely devoted, directed towards loving God, loving others. And in his miracles, we see clearly he had total rule over his creation. Jesus relived Adam's life. And Jesus died Adam's death. He died the death Adam deserved. And that you and I deserve for rejecting the image of God he's given us to live. He did what Adam could not do. Jesus, through total adherence to the image of God, became the perfect image of God. We do not believe in a God who calls us to better ourselves by our own goodness. We believe God gave Adam and Eve that chance and they failed. And we believe that each one of us would have failed in their position too. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus who came better than us in every way. And he came for us so that we could be saved through his righteous obedience and his sacrificial death for our sins. Do you know Do you suspect, is it beginning to dawn on you this morning, that you have squandered the image God gave you? There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Christ offers you that. The perfect image of God. Marred for us. Crucified for us. Bearing on himself all our rejection of him and his father, he took it all. And he offers to exchange your marred image and give you his righteousness. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. 
Turn from the sin through which you have been squandering the gift of your life that God has given you. Turn from it this morning. Welcome the gift Jesus offers you. Believe in the Son of God to save you. This is the hope of recovering the image that was lost. And Christian, if you have welcomed that gift by his grace, if you're following Jesus, he has begun a process in your heart to make you perfect. Jesus, by his death and resurrection and the power of his perfect, indestructible life, is starting a new creative work in your heart, in this church, in all his people. Jesus and his people through his word and his spirit is progressively on a plan to totally restore the image of God in us. That work begins when you're regenerated and he gives you a new heart. Romans 8, 29, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The destiny of every Christian is to become like Christ. What impact should that thought have on how we treat one another today? And Christ's work continues in sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the goal Christ had in mind when he planned with the Father and the Spirit to redeem the world was to make millions upon millions of people one day perfect with the glorious ability to live like we were made to live to live with God who made us this is the trajectory of the Christian life but listen as sure as that promise is it is only for the person who responds to it responds to God's plan by exercising your responsibility and pursuing that plan Romans 12.1 gives us that responsibility. We are told to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and to present our bodies as a sacrifice to God in worship. Ephesians 4 says we were called to put off the old self with its passions and put on the new self created after the likeness of God by pursuing righteousness and holiness. You have the word. You have the spirit. You have the church. You have God's resurrection power within you. These are resources in your life to grow you and me to look like Christ. Are you using them? Are you using them? If you are, even if it's feeble, I know that it's feeble. I know that we struggle. I know that we stumble. But in faith, we trust that he will carry us by his means. If you're using even the smallest fraction, what wonderful work you can know God is pursuing in your heart and life right now. The fact that you are here wanting to hear his word and receive it. And even in spite of your own sin and weakness, want to obey and be encouraged, Christian, be encouraged by that. That's him in you. What wonderful work you can know he's pursuing in your heart and life right now. But if you aren't grabbing onto any of those in any way, could it be because you're desiring a different image for yourself other than Christ's? Christ's work will be finally completed in glory, 
in heaven. Heaven, new heaven, new earth where we are promised we will live. Where Jesus is coming back to take us. The world that he will rule over supremely. The rule that we will enjoy. Right now we're not perfect. But Christ is perfecting us. And when Christ returns for us, the work will be done. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. In the new life with him, we will live a life of love and worship to God in complete unity with each other. And we're told we'll reign with Christ, which means the new creation will be one we go on discovering and using forever. Adam was created in the image of God, and God looked at him and said, very good. Christ came as the true and better Adam, and God said, this is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Believer, God looks at you now and sees the new image Christ has given you. And he will look on you soon and say, you are my perfect son. You are my perfect daughter. Enter into my joy. Friends, I recognize that in our day and age, questions And implications around the image of God in you are so vast that we would need a sermon series for the whole year to peel it back. These are just guiding principles. How might you practice them at school this week? How might you think about how this guides you to be active or inactive in your social media? How might being in God's image restrain Wrong desires that would pull you to believe lies. Maybe you'd be interested to take the bulletin home this week and do a little Bible study through the image and likeness of God that's provided for you in the verses near the back. Have fun exploring all that this truth brings to our life. God made us. You're a person. You have purpose. None of us are perfect yet, but Christ is perfecting his people. Are you one of those people? Are you going to recover your true humanity? Are you on Christ's path to perfection? Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot here. There's a lot for us to keep thinking about, dwelling on. There's a lot to understand. There's a lot to, to take in in light of how we've been living. But there's, there's even greater opportunities for us to to view you, to view your holiness and your grace, to view your mercy, to view your justice, to view your purpose for why you made all this. Lord, we pray that as we we seek to follow you in obedience, to, to walk in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, we pray you would not allow us to be misled or distracted or fall off in the ditch of deception or lies, even even ones we, we, we leave here today know, thinking are true. Lord, we pray you would correct us. We pray you would lead us in a different way. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh God, I pray for all of us who today are mindful that we have marred your image. Please extend your grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Enable our hearts with feeble and weak faith to welcome that gift.
for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.